0: Glory.
1: With lamenta- Lamentaciones, or the Lamentations, I understand that these works were lost for a long time. Can you tell me um, who found them and how they came into your hands?
0: Sure, we use the term lost um, with, with these for two reasons really. First, the output of Peñalosa and his generation of composers really was kind of a, a regional phenomenon his music was not published outside of Spain, and in the case of the two settings of the Lamentations, they only exist in two manuscripts that were found in the Tarazona Cathedral. We discovered them kind of accidentally, actually just perusing music in a library. There was a somewhat recent academic publication of the scores in a scholarly edition by an Australian musicologist named Jane Hardy. And uh, we have, over the course of our, our time together, have attempted to accumulate repertoire that is idiomatic to male voices, like intended for male voices. So we try to dive into deeper stuff and we we actually just literally pulled the book off the shelf and opened up to the Lamentations and it was as though these pieces were written for us. It was so clear that it was intended for a vocal stratification that matches ours. And then once we sang the pieces, we developed a, an, an immediate affinity. And we're, we're happy to be shining a light on, on this repertoire because, unfortunately, Peñalosa and his his contemporaries are really overshadowed by the Flemish and composers that we all know, Josquin de Dupre particularly. And for actually many years, a lot of the works of Peñalosa were misattributed to people like Pierre de la Rue and Compere. And so we're happy to be kind of pulling these pieces out of the shadows. Especially in the case of the the two Lamentation settings. They're just extraordinary, really passionate pieces of music.
1: Craig, can you tell me what was the most distinctive difference for you or the most outstanding feature of this music as you and the three others started to, to study them and sing them? comparing to what you have sung before or are more familiar with from that period?
0: There's a real less is more success, I think, if you want to call it that, to this music. If you were to actually look at the music on the page, very often there's a real spareness to the texture, and yet there's not a note that's wasted. So you get the impression, and when you're listening to it, it sounds so much fuller than it is. There's such an intelligence to the managing of the sonorities and how he voices the parts that it's surprisingly full for as spare and sparse as it is. And just from the standpoint of composition, it's interesting. But then when you add this other element of how the drama is managed, it's, it's really exciting. And I think that the, there's a, a, a real forward-thinking quality to this music that um, is surprising, especially when you think of the other lamentation settings by, like, Victoria or Tallis. It was really groundbreaking.
1: Penaulosa is a predecessor to some of the names and composers that we're more familiar with, right? Like Victoria and Francesco Guerrero. Mm-hmm. So yes, did, and... did he sort of? set a foundation or or lay a foundation for a style that the later composers built on, do you think?
0: I believe so. I mean, you know, it's all part of a continuum. And um, there clearly was, uh, you know, great mastery. And if you you listen to this music and compare it to his Franco-Flemish contemporaries, there are similarities. And it's especially present in the motet writing that you really hear kind of... um, ideas that were later developed by the composers in the next generation. The mass movements that, that are on the disc, the Penulosa from the, the Loma May mass, you can hear it just bristles with creativity. Just it's so exciting you can tell that every tool in his toolkit is being used and uh, some of the, the moments in it they're even kind of outlining or suggesting you know harmonic sequence that we don't really hear until you know the Baroque you can begin to hear, you know, laying the groundwork for that, that kind of compositional practice.
1: New York polyphony comprises a countertenor, a tenor, a baritone, and you as a bass singer. Is it clear in the manuscript that these are the voice ranges that Peñolosa intended?
0: The voice classifications that exist in the medieval manuscripts are less distinct than our modern voice types. So we really have to look carefully at the ranges. You know, sometimes you will see part, which is essentially in many cases just named with a number as though it's the, that, that number of that particular voice. Like if it's a five voice part, it will just be actually named after the number. So we don't rely on what Exist in the manuscript. We actually have to kind of vet all the repertoire just to see what the tessitores are like, how the management of the pieces. So we are we are a very compact voice stratification with Chris, the baritone, existing just above me, and Steve, the tenor, existing just above Chris, and uh, Steve and Jeffrey kind of occupying the the upper sides of it. So it's it's sometimes a challenge for us to find music that that really gets everyone in their (laughs) kind of their their money zone and uh that was what's so exciting about these spinulosa pieces because they really feel as though they were written for us
1: Mm -hmm. how about the arrangement of the music on the the cd did you have something in mind in terms of making an impression on on the listener or taking us through any kind of stylistic development uh anything like that
0: Yes, we treat very carefully the sequencing of our discs, and we have really tried over the course of our recorded history to create album experiences for the listener, and so it's not just kind of a laundry list of like, here are pieces by Peñalosa. We did have a sequence in mind when we assembled this program, but interestingly, the sequence that appears on the actual disc didn't emerge until after we received the first edit of the uh, material that we recorded. When we sing, we have an impression of the sound we're making because we're standing next to each other. But very rarely do we get an opportunity to take a step back and listen to our collective sound. And so when we received the first edit and we were able to take a step back, there were some really magical things that emerged in listening that we weren't aware of. We weren't aware of until we could hear it all together. And that completely turned it around for us. And uh, Jeffrey Williams, who's our kind of our music director, he went back to the lab and and reordered this just to give it you know this nice pace, paying attention to the key relationships between works. So the sequence that you hear is a relatively recent development and was a complete gear change from what we'd intended.
1: Now, Peñalosa makes up more of the disc than his contemporary Pedro de Escobar. Mm-hmm. Did that have to do with what survived, or again, more to do with uh, how you wanted to structure the disc?
0: Uh, maybe a little of both. There are um, there are some other works that we were singing and had in our repertoire and have in our repertoire that we considered for the disc, other contemporaries of of Peñalosa, that we were thinking could be connective tissue, kind of a... Other material to add to it. As we got closer to the recording, it became clearer and clearer which pieces were going to make the cut. Um, so the Escobar is just a tremendous piece of music, and uh, you're right that much of the music of of that generation it's it's limited. It's not there's not you know copious works available, unlike you know some of the other regions, the Italian composers, the Franco-Flemish composers that were widely published. These composers were not, and so. Uh, It's very likely that there's repertoire that is either out there to be discovered or is lost to the ages. So we um, decided to choose kind of the best of the best when we uh, were approaching this disc.
1: Now, there are movements from a Misa Lom Arme, and for folks who are really into polyphony and, and so forth, that might surprise some people, right, because... I mean, I would think of Lomarme as being, it was Josquin, right, who, who had the best known one based on the, the armed man marching song. Mm-hmm. So here's an example of something coming from Franco-Flemish region down to Spain, influencing Peñalosa.
0: Right. I'm sure there will be musicologists in your audience that will Correct me; I might get hate mail. I might <laughs> but too. <laughs> we've all, but, but we've always, uh, we've, uh, you know, there are many composers that take that tune and base a, a mass on it. Mm. And it and it, it appears that it became kind of a um, compositional exercise, like a challenge. And composers took it on because it was kind of a rite of passage to see how they could do what their take was is on it. And so, it wouldn't surprise me if that that was the case with Pinalosa because there is you'll hear in the writing. It does sound like a compositional exercise, but not in a bad way at all. I mean, it's extremely creative. And the ways that he implements imitation, it's its really exciting. So I think he wanted to take a crack at it as well.
1: Most of the disc is made up of uh, liturgical text, expectedly so, but one of the two pieces by Francisco Guerrero, where you are giving an example of one of those successor composers, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a Spanish Vian Chico, so this is this is a secular piece, isn't it?
0: Uh, yes. We felt that we wanted to have a little bit of a, a language flair, just as kind of a, a touch of a different color on the disc, and uh, we we thought its inclusion was it's a fun piece of music, and uh, I think it, it improves the sequence to just have kind of a um, out of left field, like a a palate cleanser. And uh, anyway, it's, it's a piece that we really enjoy singing. And, and two, we felt it was good for us to nod to the generation that followed, just so we can get some just sense of kind of longer continuity.
1: Well, Craig Phillips, it's been a pleasure talking to you about Lamentaciones, this music of Peñolosa. And it's great also to know that you spend a considerable amount of time here in the state of Oregon. And um it would be great to have you come up to us here in Portland at uh, All Classical Portland sometime, uh, maybe even to perform. Uh, we have a live weekly program called Thursdays at 3.
0: Great. I, I, I would love to, and uh, hopefully if uh,
1: Schedule the permits. ensemble would,
0: <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, and uh, we were just uh, performing at, at OBF. Uh, we did a concert here uh, in July, right. New York Polyphony. So who knows? We'd love to get up and perform.
1: All right. Well, Craig, uh, thank you very much, and we're looking forward to sharing this conversation with our listeners uh, here in Portland, as well as the music.
0: Very good. I I appreciate your time, and uh, I'm happy to give you whatever you need after you listen to what we got down. I'm happy to help out. All right.
1: Well, thanks, Craig, and uh, have a great day.
0: Great. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye.